Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. The Bible reveals from beginning to end that mankind is going to be held accountable for their actions, good or bad. We sang two songs just a moment ago, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. How many of you, that was a new song? Anybody? All right. A couple, few people. All right, that's great. Hey, it's good. And, and, uh, and then we sang, I'll Fly Away. Uh, what great songs of our Christian faith that remind us that earth is not our home. They remind us of this eternal reality where Jesus reigns with God, where all is going to be made right, and that from Genesis chapter 3, the curse will be broken, that we will be with Him in glory, face to face, no separation, no sickness, no death, no curse. I want to stop real fast and ask a question. Are you ready for that day? If the role was called up yonder today, if, if today was the day where the Lord returned, if today was the day where the eastern sky was split, if today was the day where, where you were held accountable for God and you were to stand before Him, would you be ready to give account? I don't say that to scare you. I say that because I care for you. I, I say that because that day is coming and we don't know when that day is coming. And, and if it were today and God were to, to stand you in front of Him and lay out all of your deeds and all of your thoughts and all of the intentions of your heart and lay them out before you, and He were to ask you a question, why, based on all these things, should I let you into my glory? What would you say to the judge and the lawgiver? Well, God, I tried really hard. I hope that you have a better answer than that. I hope that it wouldn't be, I tried real hard. I tried to live for you. I did real good. My good deeds, I hope, outweigh my bad deeds. I obeyed your laws. I didn't live like them over there. What would you say? On a, a graded scale, I'm better than they are. If you're grading on the curve, what would you say? I hope that you would say that I need a Savior. 
You shouldn't let me into heaven. I don't deserve to get in. But because of what you have done by leaving heaven to come to earth in the form of a man to take on the punishment for sin there on the cross, to live the sinless life that I couldn't live, to die the sinner's death that I deserve to die, you bore the wrath of God. You appeased the anger that you have at my sin through Christ. You poured out your anger on him, and because of what he has accomplished, I am trusting in Christ alone. Any other answer will fall flat in the great courtroom of God. There is no morality when you stand before the perfect one. Well, I was good, not good enough. I tried real hard, not hard enough. If you're trusting in good deeds, your good deeds will fall flat. There is a Savior. And where, though our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And this morning as we start, I pray, I'm going to pray for you right now, that each one of you, would, when you stand before God, because you will, when you stand before God, you would know that you have an argument, you have a plea, and His name is Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you today to trust Him if you haven't already. Would you bow with me? God, we need you. Your Bible is very clear. From the very beginning. That we are under the curse of sin. That we have sinned. We have fallen short of your glorious standard. And therefore we need God's mercy. And we need a savior. We can't save ourselves. And so throughout the. Uh, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, we're waiting for the Messiah to come. We're waiting for a Savior. Jesus fulfills the prophecies of that Old Testament. He is the Savior that we've been waiting on. He's done everything that we need Him to do. Jesus paid it all. And Father, I pray for every heart in this room that every heart would receive Jesus today. And as many as received Him, who believe in His name, You'd give the right to become children of God. Father, speak to our hearts through Your Word today for Your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Yesterday, I, I just want to real fast, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest today, thanks for being our guest. We, we don't take that lightly that you chose to come to Seneca Baptist today. We are so thankful that you're here. And if you haven't done this already, there's a, a card in the pew rack in front of you. Whether this is your first time or your fifth time, would you fill out that card? And, and uh, you can either put it in the offering box on your way out the back doors, or we have a welcome center out front. We would love to have your information, I'd love to reach out to you. So thank you for being here. Second, I just want to share how much fun a group of us had yesterday. There are a group of us um, who 
uh, we started this, this thing, this ministry here at Seneca Baptist called Trail Life. Trail Life is a Christian Boy Scouts. Um, uh, Boy Scouts of America has kind of left the, the Christian page, okay? And so, um, one, God put it on one of our men's hearts that I'm going to start a Trail Life group. It is undeniably Christian. And, uh, and, and, and he, he started this Trail Life group. We've had two meetings so far, two events. Yesterday was a Nerf war. A Nerf war. I saw a couple of my men yesterday who were there uh, as, as uh, chaperones who got drug into the Nerf war. And they're going, oh, my knees are hurting a little bit. <laughs> we had a good time. So I just brought my protection just in case any of you guys fall asleep. I'll wake you up. I knew I could shoot it at Joe. Did you see that? He was like uh, the Matrix. He just dodged that thing. I'm with you, Ryan. I'm going to shoot you next time. All right. That was one of the joys, is I got to shoot my son and not get in trouble for it, okay? Um, We had a great time. Great time. Please don't send me an email about shooting a Nerf gun in the sanctuary. All right, I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to open it to the book of Titus. Titus, here's what we're doing. Yeah, I just felt like y'all needed to wake up a little bit in here. Uh, We are in this sermon series concluding today called uh, Membership Matters. And uh, we believe here at Seneca Baptist that membership is not meaningless. In fact, that membership is very important. We believe that that to be true because we believe the Bible to be true. And the Bible teaches us that membership is important. Here's what I mean by that. We, some people believe that salvation is I got saved from something. And that's true. Man, we got saved from such good or bad things, evil things. We've, gotten, we've been saved from sin. We've been saved from ourselves. We've been saved from the punishment of sin, which is hell. We've been saved from separation from God. Amen, somebody? It's good news. But not only that, we've been saved into something. We've been saved into the family of God, into the church of God, into the body of Christ. We've been saved. Now we're cornerstone stones in, in the temple of God. We are being built up together. We have been saved into something. And so we've been looking at what does it mean to be a member here at Seneca Baptist Church. Now, I just need to make a clarification. We're doing this not because we want to keep people out, but because we want to bring people into something healthy. God doesn't want us to have a big, unhealthy church. I would take 50 healthy over 500 unhealthy. Probably might, our budget might not work out very well that way. But it's not about size, it's about health. And so we believe, we expect things of each and every church member. And it's for your good and for His glory. And the same things that we as an organization expect of you, you as an organization can expect of me. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not submitting myself to. And the five things are, number one, we believe that every member is expected to go to church. We believe that. You're expected to attend worship. I know there are extenuating circumstances, whether that's sickness or COVID or being homebound or whatever it is, we understand that, but, but we are understanding the truth of Scripture that God commands that we worship together. Don't forsake the gathering. Number two is we believe 
that everybody should be a part of a small group of people. We call them Sunday school classes here. We expect you, if you're going to be a member of our church, to go to Sunday school. And that's not because we're mean or we have it out for you, but because we want good things for you. There are things that will happen in a Sunday school class that won't happen in here, like conversation and like praying specifically for your prayer requests or like meeting your needs or like taking up a group offering for your specific financial need. We can't do that in here, but you can in a Sunday school class. It's where people do life together. I heard somebody say the other day that, man, I miss worship services, but I really miss my Sunday school. And there was a part of me that was like, ow, et tu, Brute, right? Take the knife out of my back. No, I'm just kidding. But what they were really explaining is how valuable Sunday school is to them. And it's important. The third thing we expect of every person who's going to be a member here at Seneca Baptist is to be generous. To be generous with their time and their talents and their tithe or their, their treasures. We expect people to give generously into God's kingdom because we're, we're investing in something that will not fail in returning. And the return in heaven will far outweigh the investment that we give. So we're trading temporary trappings for eternal treasures and being generous to God's church. The fourth thing is we expect everybody to serve. Everybody to serve. Now that doesn't mean I expect you to teach a Sunday school class. Or hey we need a nursery worker. That's you. Welcome. Uh, no, I, I just mean that there is a place of service for every person. It could be in front, it could be behind the scenes, it could be administrative, it could be serving, it could be teaching, it could be praying, it could be writing cards. There is a ministry for each person. We have audiovisual people that you will never see their faces, but they are up there faithfully working, and that's why stuff's on the screen every week. There are so many things, places that you can serve in. We have a security team that's walking around our building right now, keeping us safe. And you can serve in a lot of different fashions. And so listen, that's why we're doing it. Well, why do you feel like that's necessary? Because let me tell you about a phone call I got this week. I got a phone call from somebody this week uh, um, saying, hey, can, can, I, can I use the, the church for something? Well, we don't do things outside. And she, she said, well, actually, I'm a member of the church. I said, are you? That's, that's funny, I'm the pastor of the church. I've never met you. And we talked for, had a great conversation for about 10 or 15 minutes, and we invited that person to come to church. And, and I, I made it a requirement that if we were going to consider this, we expect you to come to your church family. And if you can't come to your church family, find a church that you can go to and be a part of. And, and that's not abnormal, that's normal. And we don't want that to be normal. We want everybody to have a church home that they're a part of, they're valuable in. Are you with me, church family? Amen? So today we're talking about number five. What is number five? Number five is sound doctrine. Or, in fact, to be very specific, the Baptist faith and message. If you're going to be a member of Seneca Baptist Church, we expect you to affirm the Baptist faith and message. You say, what in the world is the Baptist faith and message? The Baptist faith and message is the Southern Baptist denomination's core doctrine 
all compiled into a little booklet that we have available for you if you'd like one. They're in the Welcome Center, and if you're a guest or have been a guest over the past few weeks, you've got one in your guest bag. And so we're just, uh, that's what I'm talking about, is there are a document containing the core doctrines, the central doctrines of the Southern Baptist denomination, and we expect all of our membership to affirm those core doctrines. Are you with me? Now, here's where the Baptist faith and message begins. It begins with a clear and decisive teaching um, uh, defining the Word of God. And this is what it says. I'm sorry, I don't have it for you on the screen. It says, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It's the perfect treasure of divine instruction. Listen to this. I love this. It has God's for its, God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. I love that our Baptist faith and message starts with the Word of God. It's necessary in this day and time. It's necessary to start with what we define as the authority. I'm not the authority in God's church. The Word of God is the authority in God's church. If what I say differs with what it says, it wins. Always. So we're going to talk this morning about sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Man, this is going to be a fun sermon, right? Sound doctrine. That just sounds riveting. It's going to be really encouraging. And I pray that you would um, just follow along. And here's, here's why I'm so passionate about sound doctrine. It's because I've met so many people in Oconee County who believe things about God that aren't true according to God's word. I had somebody in my office just the other day and was talking about the gospel with them. And that person would begin to speak about, I'm doing this and this and this. And I just said, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Finally, that person was like, well, what is the gospel? Thank you for asking. A brother of mine who is saved participates in another local body of believers and hears all the time a false doctrine. And I have to bring him back to the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's not the gospel. That's not what it says. Find it for me. And, and here's where we are in Oconee County, in a place that used to be the Bible Belt. So often we regurgitate things that we have heard for our lives that are not necessarily in line with sound doctrine, but we have come to believe things that aren't true about God and about me and about His kingdom. Then I come to church and I bring those into church and I teach those things in church. I'm passionate about this. And I want you to hear God's word with me, if you would. This is what it says. I want you to look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read 5 tonight. I've got three sections of Scripture that I'm going to read 
at different times. So would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. The first truth that I want you to hear is that sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility. Sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul to Titus, so that you might put, it, put what remained into order and appoint, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Would you please be seated? What I want you to see is that the pastor's chief responsibility is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Okay, so what is sound doctrine? Well, doctrine is the central beliefs that are held by a group of people. Our sound doctrine is called the Baptist faith and message. Sound means reliable, trustworthy, or healthy. Have you ever heard somebody say they are sound in body and mind? That means to be healthy. So sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. So here's what Paul does. Paul instructs Titus. He says, this is why I've left you in Crete. You would go to every town and appoint elders in every town that you go to. Are you with me? Now, here's what happens. Let me just be honest. Elders, plural, every town, singular. Many Baptists freak out the moment we talk about elders. Oh, that's Presbyterian, isn't it? No, not necessarily. It's biblical. But let me just just bring it back for a second. Do you know what an elder is in the Scripture? A pastor. Oh, he's a person, a guy that God has called to shepherd a flock. There are four words that the New Testament defines or uses to define the office of pastor. And it's elder, overseer, shepherd, and pastor. All defining the same office. And so... All Paul's saying is, hey, let me tell you what I've left you here to do. I've left you here to appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular. Appoint pastors. What do they look like? What do they do? Well, verses 6 and 7 says that their home life should look a certain way. Verse 6 says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. Now listen, here's what Paul's saying. He's got to learn to oversee his home before he can oversee God's church. He's got to learn to shepherd his family before he can shepherd a church. He's got to learn how to steward the people in his home before he can steward the people in God's house. He's talking about the home life. Verse 7 and verse 8 talks about the character of the pastor elder. Verse 7 says an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Eight, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Pastor Ryan's going to fail at those every day. 
Every pastor will fail at those every day. But here's the question. Do I look in this pastor's life and see a good godly character that is growing in Christ's likeness? Or do I see these sins being um, ongoing that that pastor is practicing them? We all fall short of God's standard and pastors are not above anybody else. Amen? Pastors need a savior just as much as anybody else. I'm not saying that pastors are given license to sin. Just as much as I'm not saying that you have a license to sin. Christ calls all of us to holiness. But understanding that our character is an ongoing work in progress. Amen, somebody. Nobody's made it, not even your pastor. Then verses 9 and 10, he talks about the responsibility or the ministry of the pastor. This is what he says in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Do you hear? The, The pastor's main responsibility is the ministry of sound doctrine. And I I need you to understand the why. Because not sound doctrine will infiltrate the church in any place it can come in. How? How? There are three, according to the scriptures, there are three sources of error. And I want to show you 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Verse 2 says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. There are three sources for false doctrine or error. The first is a spirit of deceit, Satan himself. They will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, you say, pastor, is that true? Of course that's true. You want to know why I know that's true? Because I know who their father is. Their father is called the accuser of the brothers. He is called the destroyer. He is called the thief. Their father is called the liar. Satan is one who lies. And guess what? He'll use anyone in anything to deceive God's people and get them to wander off into error. You mean demons are real? Yes. Your pastor believes that there is a world around us right now that is unseen to our eyes. Well, how do you, why do you believe that? Because all the way back in 2 Kings, it talks about how Elisha and Elijah were together. And there was a, an army around them. And Elisha said, what are we going to do? And Elijah prayed, God help him to see. God opened spiritual eyes to see an army of warring angels surrounding the army of enemies. I believe from the Old Testament to the New Testament 
that there is a spiritual realm around us today that would terrify us if we saw it. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I'm not afraid of it because if God is for me, then who can be against me? I believe Satan is at work. And Satan sows seeds of lies in the church. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, The Spirit expressly says, In later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The second thing is false teachers. That's the second source of error. False teachers. I don't have time to read Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32, but let me give you the overview. It says Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, the pastors there, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. There will arise false teachers in this day, teaching a false gospel in this day, teaching a false way of righteousness in this day. And that false teaching will produce a false assurance, and that false assurance will send people to hell. The third is seared consciences. Seared consciences. That same passage in 2 Timothy says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Do you know we live in a world of seared consciences? I quoted one of the great theologians, Ricky Ricardo, this morning. How many of you remember Ricky and Lucy? Lucy, you have some explaining to do. You know what I mean? Bad accent, I apologize. Uh, do you know, when, when I was a, a kid, I would watch reruns. Sorry, that ages me. But I'd watch reruns of the I Love Lucy show. I Love Lucy, the show, had morals. You want to know why they had morals? Uh, the husband and the wife, where did they sleep? Separate beds. It would have been a shame to show a husband and a wife on TV sleeping in the same bed. That's not true today, is it? In fact, the moral of today is how far can I push it? What can I show on TV? And guess what? Our consciences are seared. We live in a world where we have... Um, become more callous to sin than we should be, to false doctrine, to false teaching. We let sin creep closer than we ought. Seared consciences, silenced morals, we live in that world. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 says, understand this, that in the last days, can we put that, understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Avoid such people. Listen, guys. I want you to read what's on the screen. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't endure it. Having itching ears. They'll go find a preacher to suit themselves. The pastor's main responsibility is the chief responsibility of pastors is to guard and shepherd sound doctrine and keep wolves at bay. One of my favorite movies ever is a movie called Patriot. The Patriot. Mel Gibson. I'm not claiming that everything he does is great. I'm just saying. It's a great movie. There's a pastor in the movie who joins the army. And he does it to protect his people. And this is his line. He says, preacher or pastor, reverend, are you joining us? And he said, yes, even at times, pastors have to shoot wolves. Well, as in a spiritual sense, the pastor's chief responsibility is to protect the flock from wolves that will enter with false doctrine. Second thing I want you to see is in, in Titus that we're going to go to is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That sound doctrine produces sound behavior. A lot of people think that sound doctrine is just a head thing. Well, if I got good theology, it's just my head. And they say, well, I don't just want to learn theology. I want to do stuff for God. But let me teach you something. When you have good theology, good theology will push you to good behavior. You can't have good theology and bad practice. That's called a hypocrite. You can't do that. But when I have sound doctrine in my head and in my heart, guess what I'm going to have in my hands? Sound behavior. When I know who God is and what God has done for me, when I get what He expects of me and that I will be accountable for my life before Him, guess what? My behavior changes. I want you to read with me chapter 2, verses 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Have you ever wondered why there's such sin rampant in so many churches of God? It's because sound doctrine has stopped being proclaimed from the pulpit. Where you see a sin increase, 
you will see sound doctrine always decrease. I want you to listen to what he says to Titus. Titus, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. See, sound doctrine is not just heady. It's not just in your mind. Sound doctrine has everything to do with a sound lifestyle. Look at verse 2. Teach what accords with sound doctrine, verse 1. And then he goes to older men in verses 3 and 4. Act this way. Older women. Oh, excuse me. Verse 2, older men. Verse 3 and 4, older women. Verse 4 and 5, younger women. Verse 6 and 7, younger men. Verse 9 and 10, bond servants. That word bond servant can mean everything from a slave who is owned to someone who has, is working for a boss. Let me just ask, has anybody been left out of that list? Men, old men, young men, old women, young women, and slaves. Nobody's left out of that, are they? Listen, sinful behavior in my life is directly related to my view of God, His Word, the world, salvation, and the end times. It is directly correlated. Look at our country. We've pushed God out, haven't we? What's happened to the morality in our country? When sound doctrine goes out, morals go away. When the foundation falls, the house crumbles. Are you with me, church? My, my dear brother, Pastor Samuel Adams, he said this one time, sitting right over here, he said, I love the way Pastor Samuel speaks, just so humble, and he said, he said the problem's not when the boat is in the water. The problem is when the water gets in the boat. See, the problem's not when the church is in the world, that's what it's made for. The problem is when the world gets into the church. And that's exactly why we, as, uh, as Seneca Baptist Church, clearly, explicitly, from the very get-go, explain what we believe and ask people to affirm it. Are you with me? It's because we, I so desire to protect your heart and your soul from false teaching that would end you separated from God under His wrath forever. Now, we exist to help people become more devoted disciples of Jesus. It's right out there on our sign. We exist to let the world come and hear about Jesus. We want sinners and tax collectors and hurting people and broken people to come in those doors. We want to go out those doors to them. We want to be welcoming to people. Are you with me? But that does not mean that we will let broken people with sound or false doctrine or errors to come in and infiltrate the soundness of our church, the health of our church with unhealthy doctrine. I protect that. We used to be a part of an ecumenical, ecumenical, however you say that. You know what I mean? 
a bunch of denominations together. Can't get that out right now. We used to be a part of that group that uh, they would have Lenten services together. And, and it would go from church to church. And one church would host it and somebody else would preach at that church. And we used to do that. And as the pastor, man, I have been given a black eye in our community because I won't host it. You want to know why I won't host it? Because I don't know who's preaching in it. This is not my pulpit. This belongs to the Lord. But I've been made a steward over it. I want to go back to the scripture. The content of our character. Paul's saying to Titus, at home or work will either validate or chip away the, at the gospel we preach. Did you hear what it said? I want you to look down in verse 5. The, verse 5 says, To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. What's he saying? The way you, you relate uh, to your spouse at home validates or deteriorates the gospel you proclaim. Are you with me? Verse 8 says, And sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The life that you live in the world around you will either give an opponent of the gospel ammunition against the God that we serve, or it will put him to shame having no ammunition. I want to live in such a way that even if somebody wants to say something bad about me, they got no ammo. Are you with me, church? Verse 10b, the end of 10 says, So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I want you to hear that. Our actions, our sound behavior adorns the gospel of God, our Savior. It doesn't make it more beautiful. It doesn't make it more useful. But guess what? It might make it more appealing. Or less. Understand, just clarify that... At, if our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ does not change our actions, then your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ is empty. It's empty. It's vain. Our faithful actions in the economy of God are meant to be a tool to witness to the truthfulness of scriptures and the gospel that we proclaim. And man, so many churches are falling short. Henry Newbigin says this, he says, The best apologetic of the gospel is a church that believes it, lives it, and proclaims it. Last, the last thing I want you to see out of the scripture is sound doctrine unites God's church. It unites God's church. So number one, sound doctrine is the pastor's chief responsibility. Number two, sound doctrine produces sound behavior. And number three, sound doctrine unites God's church. Here's what I mean by that. Many people will say, well, doctrine divides. The gospel unites. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, doctrine, you're gonna, we're going to fight over that. Why can't we just all get along? And here's why. That's so far from the truth. 
Um, in, in fact, you cannot have the gospel without sound doctrine. Do you know that? Uh, who is God? What, what's the Bible? Is it fairy tales or is it truth? How did I get here? What am I here for? How is a person saved from hell into eternity with God? What does the Bible expect of me? What is a family? Right? See, I, I need you to understand that all of those things point us to the gospel. We can't have the gospel without having a definite answer to those questions. Well, some person might say, well, those, those, those questions, those beliefs are narrow-minded. They're divisive. They need to be changed. No, I want you to hear me say this. Those are not divisive and narrow-minded. They are entirely unifying because a healthy church needs sound doctrine. Amos 3.3 in the King James Version says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Answer, no. Hey, let's walk together. I walk this way and they walk that way. Why? Because we have a different direction that we're going. We have different goals that we're walking toward. And as a church, we're just making it very clear from the very get-go who we are, what makes us who we are, what is authoritative in our church, and the direction that we're headed. And that's not meant to keep people out. That's meant to bring people in. But that's meant to bring people into something healthy. Everybody's not going to like that. And there's, a, there's another church that just doesn't care what you believe. But that's not me. So maybe this isn't the bus for you. There's another bus somewhere else. See, sound doctrine, the Baptist faith and message, helps us worship together, walk together, and work together. Because we have agreed on the central issues of the faith. If you and I, we can't agree on who God is and how I got here and what I exist for and how to get saved, there's no way that we can work together in the church. We can't do missions together because we don't agree. If we don't agree that God's real and in control, can we worship together? If we don't agree that we're created by God in His image with a purpose, is there really a point in life? If we don't agree that the Bible is God's reliable and trustworthy word, will we agree on what is absolutely true and authoritatively moral? Answer's no. If we don't agree on who Jesus is and that He's the only way of salvation for all mankind, what are we doing here today? No church family. That is not true. Listen to me. Sound doctrine unites God's church. Sound doctrine creates a sound church. And when a church ignores its intake of sound doctrine, it will soon find itself sickly and dying. I want you to listen to what God's Word says in Titus chapter 3, verses 8. It says, the saying is trustworthy, and that is the gospel that he just proclaims in verses 5 or 4 through 7. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Do you see it? Insist on these things. Why? So that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works... These things are excellent and profitable for people, verse 9, but, but avoid 
foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Do you see? As as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinfully is self-condemned. Listen to me. All I'm trying to say is that sound doctrine that is agreed on as a church family doesn't divide the church, but it unites it. And here at Seneca Baptist, we want to be very upfront who we are. We, we say that God's word is authoritative in our church's life. And what defines who, what we believe is what we call the Baptist faith and message. Are you with me? I know that sounds harsh. As I, as I close, I want to apply this to us just for a minute. We expect church members to affirm that Baptist faith and message. And so if you want to be a member, we are so excited about that. We want you here. But one of the things that we expect is that you would affirm that. And we want you to think about what you believe. Especially our teachers. It's not to keep, it's not to keep people out. It's to strengthen what we have within I want to ask a question. What have you believed? Have you ever, has there ever been something in your life that you believed for a season of your life and then you found out that what you believed was not according to sound doctrine? How much did that thing that you believed Im- impact you? Maybe there's things that you believe about the gospel that are not true. Maybe there are things that you believe right now about God that are not true. And maybe it's time to repent of those things that you've picked up throughout life and and run to God's word. Our community and country needs Seneca Baptist Church to hold fast to sound doctrine when everyone else is caving in around us. We need to hold tight. Stand our ground. Our world is tripping over itself, trying to backpedal against what is true. Gosh, Romans chapter 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools. We, it is the most loving thing that we can do to stand firm and proclaim that there is one way of salvation and His name is Jesus. It's the most loving thing we can do. What if that keeps people out? If the gospel offends, let the gospel offend. Now, I don't want to be a jerk. There's a difference. I don't want to keep people away from the gospel. But if people reject the gospel, that's not on me or you. The most loving thing that we can do is to stand and be a light in a dark place. Heralds of truth. Screaming as loud as we can with the last breaths that we have. Jesus is the way truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him tony evans said this he said the only firewall 
left for saving this, the saving of this nation is the church. Once that gets breached, there is little hope remaining. We are called to be salt and light in our culture. Let's be nothing less than that. Charles Spurgeon, he was called the Prince of Preachers, one of our Baptist preachers in the 1800s. He republished the 1689 London Baptist Confession, Second London Baptist Confession. He republished it for his church and made it available for every church member. This is what he said. This little volume, he wrote, is not issued as an authoritative rule or code of faith whereby you are to be fettered with a chain, but as an assistance to you in controversy, a confirmation in faith, and a means of edification in righteousness. Here, the younger members of our church will have a body of divinity in a small compass, and by means of scriptural proofs, we will be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in them. Be not ashamed of your faith. Remember, it is the ancient gospel of the martyrs, confessors, reformers, and saints. Above all, it is the truth of God, against which all the gates of hell cannot prevail. Let your lives adorn your faith. Let your example adorn your creed. Ah, above all, live in Christ Jesus and walk in Him, giving credence to no teaching but that which is manifestly approved of Him and owned by the Holy Spirit. Cleave fast to the Word of God, which is here mapped out for you. As we conclude, as I conclude this sermon series, you now know what it means to be a part of our church family. Church family, let us walk together knowing what we believe and why. If you're struggling with any of the five things that I've preached on for the last five weekends, please come grab me. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's sit down together and let's hear your concerns. Open the Word of God and walk through God's Word together. If you are not saved, if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, please trust Jesus. He did everything for you. Everything you need to save you from what you and I deserve, He did it. Trust in it. And there are some of you, you're sitting on the outside of Seneca Baptist Church. And it's time for you to come on in. You've been riding the fence. It's okay. We're going to be patient. And hear, hear your pastor say, come on in. Water's fine. God's got great things in store here. We've had members join the last few weekends. Had somebody last week say to me, hey, we're ready to have the talk. Not the talk talk, the membership talk. <laughs> Get your minds out of the gutter. We're ready to have the membership talk. And praise God. God's bringing people here. He's uniting people to this body. And I believe He's got great things in store.
Would you stand with me? I don't know how God might lead you to respond today. If you have no idea what a Baptist faith and message is and you'd like to get one of those, please come see me. You can also find it online. You just type in Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Baptist Faith and Message of the year 2000. And our Baptist Faith and Message will show up. You can read it all. You can even click on the scripture references and it'll pull them right up. I don't know how God would lead you to respond today. Come on, babe. But you, please respond how the Lord's leading you. If it's membership, come be a member. If it's salvation, please trust Jesus. If it's repentance, make that right. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be a church that holds fast to sound doctrine. Not because we're proud of being Baptist, but I'm proud of believing that your, your word is true. And I, I believe that our Baptist faith and message is clearly biblical. Father, work in our hearts. I, don't, I, I see people I've never laid my eyes on before, and I'm not sure if they have Jesus or not, inside their heart as Lord and Savior. Would you work in them? And if there's anybody here who needs to make the next step toward membership, would you do it in your will, in your way, in your time? We love you. We need you. And Father, help us by your grace to be a beacon of truth in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. You're